Hi and welcome to episode 119 of the This Reportage podcast. My name is Alan Law, I'm the founder of This Reportage and This Reportage family, and I'm a photographer too. In the style of David Letterman, my next guest needs no introduction, but I'm going to do one anyway. It's a real honour to chat to the fab Kirsten Lewis this week. Heralded by many to have really spearheaded the entire genre of documentary family photography, although Kirsten has a much more humble description of herself, which you'll hear on the episode. She has been mentioned by virtually every family photographer I've interviewed on the podcast and has inspired so many people to pick up a camera and capture family life. She shares so much in this episode and it's an extra long one because as well as my own questions, I also ask Kirsten lots of questions put forward by our This Reportage family community. Stick with us today as Kirsten talks about the story behind how she got her first creative live class and the impact it had on her her journey to being a photographer and teacher, co-founding the Documentary Family Awards, why she made the transition from weddings to families, how she captured a couple of her Reportage Family Awards, experimentation, photographing her own family, and so much more. Hey, Kirsten, how you doing? I'm good. I am slowly waking, Alan. <laughs> oh, yes, thank you so much for getting up so early. Uh, what, what time is it with you? Uh, it is 6 12 a.m. <laughs> oh, that, that is early. That is early to be talking to someone on the other side of the world as well. So um, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Do, do you often um, do you often get up that early or is it a bit? Yeah. How do you often well, get up that early? In my real regular boring mom life, I actually don't because I was fortunate. The universe gifted me a child that likes to sleep. Uh, Somehow the universe knew that because sleep is really necessary for me to function. Oh, yeah. However, <laughs> um, work has picked up. Uh, I'm in the right smack dab in the middle of trying to finish 28 day in the life sessions in the next like six months. And so uh, in the last wow. month, I have been to Tanzania, Kansas City, Portland, uh, Montreal, uh, I think I'm missing one. And so these days I have no idea what time zone I'm in. And sometimes <laughs> I'm waking up at like 1am my time and sometimes like 11pm my time to get up and work. So wow, gosh. Say, right now it's fine. It's totally fine that it's 6am my time. <laughs> okay, let's go. Wow, what a month you're having then. All those places. Wow, that's amazing. Is that kind of normal for you? Well, before COVID, I was on the road about 250 days a year, and I did that for about six years. So, yes, uh, between my average was between 20 and 25 day in the life sessions a year, and then oh, some, and then it, that dropped down as prices raised as it should. Mm -hmm. And but then with conferences and teaching and workshops, yeah, I was on the road uh, most of the year. And then COVID hit and that all stopped and it was quite a reset. So to answer your question, it's a yes and no answer. For six years, I was very used to it. And then two years, not at all. And so it's quite an adjustment. And now I'm a single mom with a little one and uh, trying to figure that out with my ex and be on the road. So yeah, it's a little bit crazy. Wow, that is a lot to juggle. That is a lot to juggle. Gosh. Yeah. Um, and where is home for you when you when you do get to spend some time at home? Where is home in America? 
So I'm based here in Denver, Colorado, and I've been here in October. It'll be nine years. Okay, nice. Cool. And and people who have listened to a few episodes of the podcast, I'm going to say it again, but I've I've been to America. I've been like seven times, but I've only been to Las Vegas. I've never been anywhere else in America. That's bad, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I know it's bad. Oh, God, that fills me with joy that your only experience in the United States is Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> is that what everywhere like is, is it not, uh, like in America? Is everywhere like Vegas? No, I don't think what? it is. It? No, no, I know. I know. I know it isn't. I know. Oh. It's like this weird, surreal, um, imaginary, dysfunctional playground Um well, depending on where you are in Vegas, there's like really normal parts of Vegas, but the like what we all think of and see in the movies and what many of us have experienced of Vegas is that is a that is a vortex away from reality. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I think that's why I like it, you know, because I live in a very sleepy corner of the UK in Cornwall. So it's like the opposite of where I live. You know, I, I quite like it. Do you have you been to Vegas quite a few times then? A lot. Um, okay. So I've always spoken at WPPI. As oh, yeah. Well, I think uh, I've probably been there about 20 times, more than that, probably. Wow, gosh. Do you like it? I, I do, but um, yeah, it's funny. I'm I'm actually going there right before Halloween just for fun. But uh, oh. yes, I do like Vegas. I have a expiration um, date when I'm there. I can't really go more than five days in Vegas, especially mm. if I'm at a conference because with WPPI, a lot of the time you don't ever leave the hotel. Mm. Uh, and so the lack of sunlight on your face can get to you after a while. Oh, I get that. Yeah. Five days is enough in Vegas because it's just exhausting to be there as well. It's yeah. fun, but exhausting. Yeah. And, you know, they pump extra oxygen in the um, in all the hotels to keep you awake longer. Oh, which right. is kind of crazy. Yeah. So keep you gambling. Yes, that's right. Keep losing your money is what you want. <laughs> do you gamble when you go there? Do you gamble? Yes, I do. Usually, well, tradition always was, and things have changed since they switched the conference. It always used to be at the MGM. There was a group of, I don't know, 30 of us that would always, more than that, 40 or 50 of us that would go every year. And it was kind of like spring break for us to reconnect and um there was a group of us, it was me and all the guys, and we would play Pi Gal for one evening. Uh, it's a really fun, rather long game. It's a slow game, and it's so much in your favor that when you win, you have to give the house back a little bit of money. What, <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> um, so every round wow. that you win, <laughs> then you have to give the house a little bit of money. But um it's fun. And so for years and years, at least 10 years, uh, you know, every, I think it was like a Sunday or Monday night after dinner, um, we would go, I would go with the boys and play pie gal. And I just did, I went and my girlfriends and I went, uh, last year, uh, kind of like my divorce party gift. Oh, oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) My really good friend, Olivia, uh, bought me second row tickets to see Lady Gaga in Vegas. Wow. What was that like? Uh, brilliant, amazing, uh, incredible. And it was her jazz show. So it's all jazz pieces and her piano was right in front of our seats. Uh, so to witness her playing and singing was, uh, it was definitely like a once in a lifetime opportunity in terms of live music. Um, 
And then afterwards, I took the girls and I taught them how to play Pi Gal. So <laughs> that sounds like a good time, though. That does. That's a game I've never played, actually. I have no idea how to play that. Um, it's super yeah. fun. And you actually have two hands while you're playing. So you have two chances to win. That's why the ha- it's always in your fever that you're going to win. Ah, well, that sounds good. I'm going to try that next time in Vegas. going to yeah. do it. Is that yeah. w- yeah, WPPI's move, does it now? Is that the Mirage now, is it? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it's um, it's in the hotel where, you know, all the, the volcanoes. Horrific- no, but also where the horrific shooting took place years and years ago. Oh, right. Oh, OK. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've been to WPPI a few times. I, I love it. It's, it's like a chance to go to Vegas and put it through the books as well because it's a taxable That's expense. Great. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Right. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. I, I I could talk about Vegas all day, Kirsten, but I think the <laughs> listeners probably would, would be annoyed at me. So um, so let's go on. So Kirsten, um, I know that every family photographer listening will have heard of you, and um, one of our members actually referred to you as family photography royalty yesterday, actually, which uh, is a, a good title. Weird and okay. <laughs> <laughs> and not to not to be um shaming whoever said that but whoever said that if they know me really well i'm not sure they would say that about me but oh really really <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway but yeah i I know you've had i know you've had a massive impact on so many photographers careers you've been mentioned you know by virtually every family photographer i've interviewed on the podcast as well um but i just thought it'd be cool if we could go back to the beginning you know how it all began for you how you got into photography in the first place you know how how you became the photographer and teacher mentor that you are now that's a big question isn't it but yeah basically you know it's just how did you get into this world of photography really um, so I've shared this story a bit and I feel like it's slightly, uh, boring. Um, you know, there's nothing super exciting. My, so I come from a family of artists. Uh, my dad is an actor and musician. Oh, cool. My mom and my pops who passed a couple years ago, uh, they both photographers and actually this story I haven't told my mom and my pops met when I was three at a peeper frog photography class. There's these teeny tiny frogs that live in Connecticut where I'm from called peeper frogs. And the only way you can find them is at night when they make sound. And so you go out into like the wetlands or the swamps and with boots on. And when they start making noise, you shine a flashlight on them and you stun them and then they won't move. And then with the flashlight on them, you photograph them. Wow. And that okay. is That's how cool. my parents met. And That's so a very my- cool way of meeting. <laughs> Where my, how my mom and my pops met. So um, I grew up with a dark room in my home and I actually learned how to print long before I learned how to make a picture. It was something very special, uh, really, that I shared with my pops uh, more than my mom. My mom printed, too, but it was really an art form that my pops really loved to do. And so I remember being as young as five or six and waiting for the red light on the outside of the door for the dark room to turn off, which meant it was safe to come in. And I would sneak in there and spend hours uh, helping him develop uh, develop photographs. And um, what kind of photographs? What was he? Uh, so my mom and my pops actually they did a lot of documentary. They and portraiture. They photographed uh, our family. They photographed uh, friends. They photographed their lives. And mm, cool. and and just to fast forward uh, two years ago, it was really fun 
uh, I took care of um, my pops while he was uh, on hospice. Um, okay. So I was for about four months straight. And I went through uh, boxes uh, to try and find photographs. And I found some amazing ones that I had never seen before that he had printed, hand printed this beautiful photo of my mother uh, when she's about 35 or 36 years old. And it really was the photographs. And we can talk about that later if you're interested uh, mm -hmm. that helped um, keep his brain active. He had severe dementia and, um, so anyways, so yeah, so that that was my first introduction to photography was my parents were photographers and uh, it was around me all the time. All like I was in front of the camera or in the darkroom processing, but I really didn't have a camera in my hands until I went and studied in Brazil. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, I, what were you what were you studying? Uh it was just a summer semester that I took a break from uh regular life and escaped <laughs> to South America and uh, I studied uh, urban development down there, which wasn't my, it, it wasn't part of my degree, but uh, where I was in Curitiba is they're, they're brilliant. It's considered some of the best uh, city planning in the world, the way that their city was uh, planned out uh, in okay. terms of efficiency and the environment. And, and then I was studying Portuguese and, um, but well, I had do a camera. You, do you speak it now? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> I've studied about four languages, and the only one I can slightly speak other than English is Spanish because I lived in Mexico for a while, and I sound like a three-year-old <laughs> who's definitely behind. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm terrible with languages. Okay, um, I won't. I won't put you on the spot and ask you uh, to speak the rest in Spanish. Then I wouldn't understand a word anyway. So, no. <laughs> um, so I was in Brazil, and I had a point and shoot. I was just photographing, you know, my experience there. I mm. came back. My parents saw my photos you know i was just like hey this is what i did and they were like whoa you your compositions are pretty good and so if we go back i was a fine artist um from the time i was very small painting and drawing was something i gravitated towards and then i was fortunate fortunate enough to go to a really special high school in connecticut one of only three high schools at the time i don't know if things have changed this was a very long time ago with <laughs> Um, two working museums right on campus. Uh -huh. And uh, so I was in the fine art program. You could you could uh, basically major in the arts. They had a fine art program and they had a music program. Oh, and uh, cool. so I did I did fine arts and actually my, my focus, you have to do you had to do a foundation program, which was uh, basic illustration, drawing, like drawing one, drawing two, painting, whatever. Um, but I specialize in ceramics. So by, my sophomore year, I was taking, I had a ceramics class every day, uh, yeah. sophomore, junior, and senior year, and then various other art classes. And English was the, there were two classes, like quote unquote regular classes that you had to take from sophomore year on every semester. And that was, actually, maybe English was only until my senior year and then I was done with English. But you had to take phys ed every semester <laughs> all year. And uh, all four years. And anyone who knows me knows I am not the most athletic person. Oh, uh, really? really? No, not at all. Um, but that gave me a really good foundation. So when my mom and my pops saw my photos, they were like, you compose very much like how you paint or draw. 
And so they got me my first SLR for my 21st birthday. Uh, I got a Nikon 8008. Uh, I eventually bought a second body. Um, I built, uh, I immediately built a dark room in my bathroom and that came with me through two homes, two different homes. Um, Wow, you built your own dark room. Well, it's very easy, Alan. Is it really? (laughs) (laughs) By build, I meant my bathroom makeshifted as a dark room. And I That's bought cool, though. black, um, uh, what is it called? Like cardboard, black, big sheets of black cardboard with black gaffers tape and some developing pans and a uh, developer and all the chemicals. And I'm pretty sure that half my, you know, my brain has been damaged. There was a, a lot of <laughs> that were lost in that because my bathrooms never had really good ventilation so i would spend i mean hours a day in a chemical filled bathroom <laughs> that doesn't sound too healthy <laughs> no not at all um wow yeah. it's proper in your blood the photography is proper in your blood yeah yes um at least in my childhood experience right um or art or creativity i think is in my blood my and my i grew up my great-grandparents uh, Fanny Munsell and C.E. Chambers, uh, they're very famous uh, artists, specifically C.E. He was best friends with Norman Rockwell. And so I grew up with uh, original paintings, really like incredible, extraordinary uh, paintings throughout my entire house. And so I studied those and learned how to draw very young by studying them. So I'd say the creativity part, the artistic expression, as well as my father being an artist and I mean, a uh, an actor and a musician. I also got into theater and all that. So just, oh, yeah, I've read yeah, sorry, sorry. I was going to say, I read that on your bio. You've done so much. It sounds like you've done so much. And this is even kind of before your photography career really began then as well. And then so how did, you know, after you got your first DSLR and things, how did you start, you know, did you start with weddings? How did your actual kind of photography kind of career begin? And didn't you, don't you have like a child psychology degree as well? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do think you've not done, Kirsten. It's like, it's awesome. <laughs> There's plenty I haven't done yet. <laughs> That's what I keep telling myself. I don't want to die early. So much left to do. But um, so uh, I was shooting a lot for myself, obviously, uh, uh, film roles and roles and roles of film. And um, I had a really good friend who was starting a magazine and asked me if I wanted to be on staff. Uh, It was called Chew on This Magazine uh, in Richmond, Virginia, where I was living. And I said, yes, uh, that'd be fun. And then I went to the first meeting and I was like, it is me and like 12 guys. This is, and even back then, like early 2000s, I was like, this is gonna be challenging, right? This is way before anything like that was ever discussed out loud. Mm -hmm. It was, it was challenging um, being the only female voice on a. Uh, a board for a magazine. But what was nice is I uh, immediately became the photographer, the staff photographer for that magazine, as well as one of the head writers, which was great. And I really connected specifically with this uh, guy by the name of Justin Vaughn. He ended up going from that magazine to a very popular, uh, well-established publication in Richmond called Richmond Magazine. 
And he became an editor there and took me with him. And so then I became a staff photographer, or not staff, I'm sorry, a contract photographer for uh, Richmond Magazine. And I worked with them for like seven or eight years. Uh, I would just pick up assignments when I was in town. And when I had time, I would just let him know, hey, I'd like some assignments. And he would throw them my way. Uh, In the process, it is a very typical fairy tale story. I had friends that were getting married. They were getting married in Jamaica. They were like, please, I mean, you're going to be invited anyways, but please bring your camera. And if you bring your camera and just take some photos, uh, we'll pay for your flight. I was like, that's fine. So I went with eight rolls of black and white Ilford film and three rolls of Kodak. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was uh, Fuji. I think it was Fuji color. Um, I didn't really like shooting in color. I preferred black and white. And and I shot the time, you know, the whole time we were there. And then friends saw those photos and then asked me to shoot their wedding. And so the story goes. <laughs> well, I, that's mad. Your first wedding was in Jamaica, though. That's pretty yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. And those um, that couple is getting ready to celebrate in February their 21st wedding anniversary. So wow. that's how I always know how long I've been. I was a wedding photographer because um, they they're in our, it's based on their anniversary and they always uh, post about it online. Oh, um, they must have liked the photos then as well. They must have liked. They did. Them. I mean, and I look at them. It's funny. It's one of the few weddings that I look at from way back when. And I'm like, and I don't feel like I would have the desire to go back and reshoot. It was a very organic, uninfluenced way that I shot. And th- the photos aren't amazing, but I see the pho- photographer I am now in those photos versus a very long stretch of time where I don't see myself at all because I was so influenced by what everybody else was making. Cause that was in the world of, you know, a few years after that, it was the world of blogs and, and yeah. sets and, um, uh, and actions, totally rad actions. Oh yeah. Mm. Um, and, and I don't see myself at all. And I had to go through that. I think there was a good stretch of time. So to answer your question very quickly now to round it out. Yes. <laughs> I shot over 500 weddings over a total of maybe 10 or 12 years before leaving the wedding industry. Wow, 500. That is so many. Yeah, a lot, lot, a lot of weddings. And so then what was the impetus? What was the catalyst uh, leaving weddings and getting into the family? Dear God, I hope there's not a lot of wedding photographers listening. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, you've got to be totally honest. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. I feel like some people take offense to this and I don't mean to offend anyone because I think wedding photography is incredibly, it can be incredibly challenging and difficult. Um, I was super bored and I'm not, this is why I'm like, if anybody refers to me as anything other than like that weird girl that lives in Denver that takes pictures, then (laughs) they just haven't spent enough time with me. Okay. That's Um, how I'm going to introduce you as then at the beginning (laughs) of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. Um, I don't like to dress up. I don't like to be formal. Uh, when I first went on Creative Live, there was a meeting about my mouth and a, like several conversations about please do not swear on Creative Live. Like <laughs> I'm, I have a bit of a trucker mouth. My daughter is already starting to get one. <laughs> I, I don't like to be formal. I like to be very relaxed and chill and hang and connect with people on a really honest level. And I 
Weddings were just such a formality for me. And it became incredibly uh, predictable. And I, as a creative, was getting very burnt out. Part of it could be the amount of weddings I was shooting. When you're shooting 30 to 50 weddings a year, you're exhausted. Mm-hmm. And But also, I was just so bored with the predictability and, the, and, a, and a certain amount of inauthenticity of the day. Like, everything's so heightened. And I think there's a certain amount of show that can take place at a wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't connecting with at all anymore. I just, and I always really love my couples, but there's plenty of groomsmen and bridesmaids that I would have rather never come in contact with. (laughs) I can understand that. Yeah, I can understand that. Mm -hmm. Or like the uncles who touched me inappropriately or said things to me that absolutely should not have been said to me. Uh, not just in a professional capacity, but in any sort of human capacity. Like, I just didn't want to deal deal with the bullshit of what comes along with a wedding day anymore. And so that was all the, for all those reasons, I made a shift out. I totally understand. I totally understand all that. I'm sure you're not going to offend anyone by saying that because, uh, you know, you, you're not seeing me here, but I'm nodding to so much of that. I totally understand yeah. it. Um, I've not shot as many as you. I've shot about 350 or so weddings. But yeah, I totally understand a lot of that. And I did see a bit of uh, interview, your interview with someone else. And you said that uh, you said since shooting families, you feel artistically free. And uh, and uh, it was great. You were talking about moments. They do happen at weddings. But the, as you mentioned, there, they're more predictable, aren't they, than they are in families? Yeah, like when if there's a father and if he is present at the wedding and if they do the traditional, oh, dad's going to walk in when when the daughter's all ready. It's one of two things are going to happen. He's either going to break out into tears and then everyone like their heart explodes and then you are ready to take that photo or he's dead on the inside. and He's like, you're running late. Let's go. (laughs) One of two things is going to happen. Right. And it felt like that was it for everything, like every moment. I had seen it a million times and I have seen like several things and I can predict in families, but it's different. It's just a lot more honest in real life than a wedding is. Yeah, I totally understand that. Totally understand. And so then how did you make that kind of shift from weddings to family? Had you been shooting some, you know, families in the meantime whilst you're shooting weddings or did you go clean break from like weddings to family? Uh, I had always done some family shoots, but I moved to the Outer Banks, North Carolina And I was there seasonally for eight years. Seasonally is May to November. And um, that's where I was shooting a lot. That's where I logged a lot of weddings from two-person little teeny tiny weddings to 300-person weddings. Um, But the reason I moved there was because I had met on vacation, because we would vacation there every year living in Richmond. Outer Banks is just like the place to go. And I met this guy who was a photographer down there. And at the time I thought this was really impressive. And then I realized that I, um, I could potentially make more, but he said, yeah, I make about $30,000 in 12 weeks photographing families. And I was like, what? I was like, I can do that. So that is really that one tiny conversation. I don't even know who that guy is now. (laughs) Uh, I was like, well, I'm moving to the outer banks in in the season. So I did. And I, along with shooting a full, like full wedding season down there, I was shooting family sessions. And I remember the, so then I look up family photography, Outer Banks. 
and I did a Google image search and I was like, oh dear God, no. <laughs> it's all, you know, the white and khaki. Everybody is like standing with the um, ocean or the dunes behind. They're mm. all had have these very forced plastic smiles. And I was like, wait a minute. No, I, this doesn't have, this doesn't have anything to do with these families being on the beach, like at all. And there isn't ever a time in my life ever that I would have wanted to wear the same outfit as my grandmother <laughs> and white and khaki is literally the same color as the sand. So everyone's like blending in. To the background. <laughs> like I just, I was like, dear God, no, there's no way in hell I can do this. I was like, but maybe I can do it my way. So cool. I'm not kidding, Alan, in my contract and in the, in the first contact email, I state that you may not wear matching clothes and <laughs> absolutely no one can wear white and khaki if they hire me. And I, it really filtered out 99.9%. .9%. I'd say like every year, maybe one or two would not listen to me and wear the white and khaki. Or <laughs> would you just not photograph them if they turned up in that then? Would you say, no, no I'm sorry. Yeah. My <laughs> attitude changed really badly. Like I always had an assistant with me and they're, and they would be like, Oh no. <laughs> I would just be really frustrated. I mean, I would still deliver photos to them and I would sure, do a good sure. job, but the whole point for me and my approach was I just want to photograph people enjoying their time with their families on the beach on vacation. And so, uh, my shoots were pretty structured in terms of, and I would tell them ahead of time, you get 10 minutes out of an hour to have very casual portraits made of you and your loved ones. And then after that, it's all play. And I would give them a list of about 20 different things, ideas for things to bring to the beach. And I always encourage them to wear their bathing suits or allow the kids to wear clothes that can get wet. I always had a bathing suit on um, under a pair of shorts. And I always had an assistant to tell me because the waves can get pretty big in the Outer Banks. So literally one of my assistant's only jobs was to watch and yell out wave if there was a big wave coming <laughs> that's a cool job i like that as a job that's cool. <laughs> um and when you hire a 19 year old who is boy crazy and on her cell phone the whole time sometimes she doesn't yell wave um and you get knocked over but um was it so difficult yeah. to get those initial bookings though if, if you know families were so used to that kind of lifestyle you know portraiture really and you were coming along with something really quite new and different was it was it difficult to kind of show people that look this is what is great this is what you should have oh of course yes mm. um the first year i had me i booked maybe 10 right. i got 10 clients and they were all out-of-the-box clients to be perfectly honest like a couple of same-sex families hired me um i had a like i had a, a couple single parents hired me i had uh, and then a, a bunch of international clients hired me i remember this one family very large family came over from germany or maybe holland um yeah so it wasn't it wasn't like the family coming the you know the family with the three and a half kids the picket white picket fence mm. from Ohio. Those, they weren't hiring me right away. Okay. And that's what the majority of the people are like coming down to the beach. Uh, so it took a bit, um, but I very, and I've always been a bit resourceful and thought outside the box. So very quickly, I 
had to think of a way to connect with my potential clients, not relying on them just finding me on a Google search. But I will say that once I built up even those, even just the 10 shoots gave me enough content to have a solid portfolio online that was so different than anything else that people were offering on the beach. And there were like, maybe like a hundred photographers down there. Maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe 50, 50 photographers. I think that's a more fair guess. Mm-hmm. And when you would search my, once you would get to my website, it was very obvious. I was, I was the anomaly. Like it, you can get those photos from any of the other photographers, but if you want this, I'm the only one to hire. <laughs> that's cool. That's so cool though. Isn't that so important? And you, you know, and you are kind of attributed really to the, to this kind of genre of photography, documentary family photography. You know, it's it, when people think of documentary family photography, they do think of Kirsten Lewis. So how, how does that feel? I mean, that is super cool. Feels stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true, isn't it? You are totally synonymous with it as um, so. Yeah. What, what does it, does it really, what does it feel like? Um, well here uh, for me, photography was in my life longer than I have memory. Does that make sense? Like I, it, it was in my, it literally was in my life before I even remember I have memories of my childhood and my mom was making documentary family photography when I was three. So (laughs) documentary family photography has been around much longer than I've even existed or breathed. As long as there's been cameras, there have been people that have been making really important photos for their own family's history. It just really wasn't ever marketed as a retail or commercial business. That's the difference. And there's still people that were doing it, but maybe not making a living doing it. Okay. Like, so I, I mean, I'm humbled, um, at that idea that, um, in any way I'm attributed to this, uh, I'd rather I'd rather like to think of it as I helped to encourage beautiful, talented, um, important creatives around the world to do this for other families um, in a way that they can also make a living. And what a legacy that is, though. I have to, what a leg- the way you put it is perfect. And what a legacy that that is. You know, I don't know if you're someone who you know legacy is not important to a lot of people and I never think about it but what a legacy that is that that you have attributed that that you've given to to the world and I know that so many honestly speaking to so many family photographers on the podcast so many of them as I said before I mentioned you and specifically how they really found the genre of documentary family photography through you through a lot of it through your first creative live class and that's mm-hmm. amazing thing that you've given to not just them as creatives themselves but then to as you said to all the families that they go on to photograph and it's amazing, really. It, um, it really is. And yeah, so and you mentioned the creative live. I just mentioned it there as well. And that's, that's something that's always um, synonymous with you as well. Is that, so how, how did you get that first class with them? You know, how that, and what was the impact on your career? Uh, well, how I got the class is um, it's a funny tale, Alan. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like funny tales. I like funny tales. It, it uh, involves some alcohol. <laughs> It's always good. It's always good. Um, it was at WPPI. I uh, um, I had been speaking there for a while, and the year 
uh, I'm trying to think what year it was. I don't even know. I'm not even going to try. My dad's very good. He's like, on a Thursday, <laughs> 1984 in May, you know, I'm like, how do you know all that, dad? Like, I don't even know what year we're in now. Right. So yeah. I don't <laughs> a while ago, yeah. uh, George Varanakis, um, was at the time the head of the, was the head of WPPI. He was the main guy. Uh, and George left and then Jason group took over. So George was there when I did my second photo ignite photographers ignite, which is really like <clears throat> the first photographers night is how people got to know me in the industry is anything other than some no name uh, wedding photographer. And, uh, it's, you give a five minute talk and okay. I'm the first person ever to swear on the WPPI main stage. That is a good record to have. That is <laughs> 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 I remember Becker was looking over my shoulder at my notes and he's like, are you opening your talk with holy shitballs? And I was like, yes, I am. And he's like, girl, you have some holy shitballs. And I was <laughs> like, oh, it's just me, right? What are they going to do? Yank me off stage? I don't think they're going to do that. So anyways, and then that the rest is history with that. Then people were swearing left and right. But and someone needed to break the ice with that. So <laughs> it's a good one to do it. Yeah. Good. So I did one more Photographer's Ignite, and when I was there, George Varanakis, who was in charge, saw me speak. The, he left that year after that WPPI because he got a job at Creative Live, where he was one of the photography acquisition editors. Like, he was one of the people in charge of the photography department and finding new talent. Mm -hmm. So the following year at WPPI... Um, I'm hanging out at one of the, uh, later in the evenings at one of the, um, the bars where everyone would convene. I definitely had, um, a few glasses of wine <laughs> and I see George and sometimes I get like ridiculous, arrogant, um, uh, regrettable, <laughs> uh, courage. Um, and I was just being dumb and I was I went up to him. I was like, George, so good to see you. And he's like, Kirsten, how you been? I was like, well, I heard that you have a pretty big deal at this new company. I didn't even know what Creative Live was. I knew nothing about it. And other than people taught on Creative Live. And he's like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. I was like, I think I should be on it. Like I was I, oh, God, so dumb. And he was like, okay. And, and I was like, see you later. And I like left. And I woke up the next morning to a message a text message and he's like, I've put you in touch with Arlene and she'll be reaching out to you about creative live. And I was like, Oh my God, no, 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 no. <laughs> I wasn't for real with that. Right. And so creative live kept reaching out to me. Arlene kept reaching out to me and I was like, Nope, I'm not ready. And so I finally talked to her. And I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to do it. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I was like, you know, a, a bottle in of red wine. I can't, I, I was <laughs> kidding. Right. So the following year at WPPI, I had like five talks. I had a main stage platform talk and I was speaking at a couple of um, companies that, like in the smaller booths on the trade show. Mm -hmm. And I think I was on a panel or something. Oh, and I, and I spoke at the Nikon stage. So I had, that was a big year for me. And um, this woman that I didn't know, a recruiting agent, her name was Amanda, um, she went to every one of my talks. I didn't know this. Um, and I'll never forget 
I did my last presentation at Nikon uh, that year, and I'm walking away, and I hear Kirsten, like like this this little voice, coming running across the the trade show floor, and she they're like starting to like clean up because it's the end of the day, and um, she gets tripped by like these wires and just goes <laughs> flying on her face. And I was, <laughs> my god and she's like this redhead and i like all this red curly hair flying all right and so i like run over i'm like oh my god are you all right and she's like i'm amanda she's on the floor she's like i'm amanda from creative live i need to speak to you and i was like oh my god are you okay so uh we spoke and she's like we really want you like we really want you on creative live please will you come consider teaching on creative live and I had like a full year, I feel like, of growth um, in terms of my process for shooting. I had shot a lot more and I was like, okay, let's talk. And so that's how I got on Creative Live. <laughs> I love that story. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, like, so that was when they were doing three day um, classes. I was incredibly nervous and I, no one knew what I did. Right. And I remember like my really good friend Tyler. Um, when I was talking to him, I was like, you know, what should I be teaching? Like, I, I mean, I'm going to teach what I do, but, and he's like, it's going to be too risky to just teach that. You're going to have to teach some other stuff. And in my gut, I was like, no, I'm just going to teach this. This is what I'm doing right now. Like, this is what I believe in. And I'm just going to teach documentary family. I'm not going to talk about weddings. I'm not going to talk about, you know, the actual portraiture or any of that. I just, am going to talk about documentary family photography and so I built a course just based around that and my fairly limited experience I'd only been doing it for about four years three or four years at that time and um and I remember day one opening you have to set calls at like ugh, it's at like five in the morning or six in the morning is it proper like filmed at the, a studio and things yes it's a With very a, is there an audience as well um, well, yes, normally there's an audience. I was so unknown. I had two and a half people in my audience and I say <laughs> two and a half because the first two days I had three people and then, um, the third person left cause she had an other obligation. So then I only had two, my third. <laughs> okay. Okay. So okay. I joked that I only had two and a half audience members. Um, so I only had <laughs> three audience members and I remember I was in tears before, we started recording or going live and um i was, I was like, actually live as well it's live. it is yeah. it, 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 it's live and i was like i'm so sorry arlene like i feel like there's gonna be 10 people watching this is such a waste of all of your time and money i was like it's probably just mostly gonna be my family and some random <laughs> bored guy who's gonna tune out like i no one is gonna care about this and he's she was like kirsten we have 10,000 people pre-registered for your oh class. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's amazing. And I was like, what? And then I'm super nervous. Right. Um, but, <gasps> and then you yeah. were like thinking, Oh, I wish I'd sign on to a royalty per subscriber. Like <laughs> that would, that would be good. <laughs> yep. Um, and it was a great, they have, they had it like a great, um, uh, just group of people who I got to work with. I loved and am friends with my producer. Um, and I, her name is Kathy Ramos. Um, and they just made me feel so comfortable. And at the time, I think at the time it was still two hosts. Did I have two? I think I did. I think I had two hosts at the time. And then they went to one host. They started, they really started to like cut 
um, production um, costs uh, for my second and third class as they were doing with all of creative live and that now creative live really does it's not much of anything anymore they've gotten rid of almost all of their staff um but right. yeah, it was an extraordinary experience for me a very humbling one an overwhelming one i was not prepared for what was going to happen uh my classes have had i think now over two million views or something crazy wow that is crazy though is it that's amazing gosh yeah. that's so cool and as i say like everybody well so many people have said how that that's how they found out about you but not just you about that whole genre so it's it's proper what an impact that had I mean, man i get nervous just about talking to people on the podcast i can't imagine doing a whole kind of live like was it like a multi-day thing then as well three days yep. so yeah three days eight hours of content a day and then you have a couple of breaks in between and it was run very much like a TV show. So um, first of all, you've got like four or five cameras on you, um, you know, lights and all that, and you're mic'd up. And, and so the hosts would be, they would be manning uh, everything on the board. So the board, like when you're watching live, you could go on the board and, and have conversations and you could submit questions to me live through the hosts. So the hosts were, they were taking care of all of that, um, as well as managing anyone going in and trying to heckle. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you get anyone doing that? They can't do that. Do they do that? For sure. Yes. No. Especially, Probably. sorry, but like, this is no offense to you, but especially older white male photographers. Um, I'm not, not so old, not so old, but no, I am actually, okay. I am quite old. <laughs> I apologize. But yeah, that was the, in the beginning. That was yeah. the main thing. Okay. Um, things shifted with my second class and uh it for the most part it my first class was received very 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 well um like a 99 percent like approval rating like uh, everyone loved that first class second class not so much the second class was a lot more uh seemingly controversial because really? I, I shared a lot of personal stories okay. and I, I had every intention that I don't have any regrets about my second class. And in fact, I think my second class is the best class. Um, my second class, I talked a lot about, I want I, my whole thing. And it has been since teach. I started teaching. Well, not even started, but like, as I've developed, my teaching is um, while I want people to learn skill set and to, to build their tool, their, their toolbox for, how to make a good photo. At the end of the day, the most exciting thing for me as a mentor or teacher is to see my students, my equals, my um, my beautiful friends that I make through teaching. I want to see them really connect with the work that they're making on a very personal level. And the way that you get your work to stand out amongst other people's work is simply by injecting yourself in how you're sharing what you see with the world. And I can't expect people to do that unless I'm incredibly vulnerable in sharing my own experiences and how I make my own work. And so I've always been quite vulnerable and there are things that I will never talk about live, but a lot of stuff I'm, I'm very open about and I, I don't have a problem sharing, especially my failures, my fears, my faults when I screw up, like I don't have any problem talking about that. And that didn't sit well with some of the audience, but I realize it, it doesn't have to do with me. I didn't do anything wrong. It has to do with maybe it triggering things in, in them and they weren't, 
at a time that they could receive it well, or they're not ready to like face their own mm. stuff, um, or they're fearful of, of, of accepting those things about themselves or, or, or embracing those things about themselves and being willing to be vulnerable enough to make their work more personal. So the second class was very um, polarizing. And actually, I think that it did a better job because of that, to be perfectly honest. It also helps it re- those that it connected with, it connected with very strongly. Uh, those that it didn't connect with, it didn't connect with very strongly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can never apologize, though, for being vulnerable and being open. I mean, that's, those are you know, great traits. As you say, it's down to other people's you know, what's going on in their lives, isn't it? You, you weren't happy with that. Yeah, it was like um, things like she needs to get a therapist. This isn't a therapy session or uh, people really offended that I spoke about miscarriage um, on an international platform, that there's <sighs> no place to be doing that. Um, really? Oh. Yeah. How, do, how do you cope with going through that kind of that kind of feedback? It must be hard. So I will be. I will be honest, this is something quite vulnerable and transparent that I, I've been going through a huge um, uh, a, a huge process of um, rediscovering myself. Uh, a lot of it has to do with losing my father and um, also getting a divorce and I think being 45 and raising a young girl, as well as things that have happened in the industry in the last couple of years. But um I always thought I, I, I've always thought I presented myself as I am like in my head. Like I'm super approachable. You can ask me anything. I'm incredibly, I, I want to be friends with everyone. I just want to fit in. Like, I don't ever want to be feel like, or other people feel like in any way I'm anything other than I am. And I just happen to really love what I do. And, um, I have a background in teaching. And so it made sense when people started coming to me to ask if they could work with me that I would do that. Mm, sure. I, I was in theater. So, you know, when you're older, it's really hard to be in productions because this, the schedule is quite demanding. So if you have kids or you have another job, it's like nearly impossible to do a show. And so with keynote speaking or teaching, um, like on a stage, that's like a kind of a way for me to reconnect with that. And it's fun. Mm-hmm. Like I, I much prefer to just entertain people. Um, but I don't do well with, um, things unkind being said about me. Um, I need, I'm learning, I'm going through a learning process of, um, of just letting that go. Um, cause it's my own stuff, but it really destroys me. Um, and especially when there's misconceptions about who I am, um, or things that are said that just simply aren't true. And I don't have any control over that narrative at all. Um, but it can dev- like literally devastate me like, um, severe depression. And, um, just, there was a point a few years ago where I was experiencing some suicidal ideation and I had never experienced that before. And, um, it was really bad. And, um, so learn oh. how to get over that, but I'm not really built my, 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 like how I'm structured since I was very little really isn't built for what happened to me after creative life. And there's parts of it that are extraordinary and beautiful. And then there's parts of it that 
really were debilitating and and dangerous. And so I've tried to pull away um, as best I can um, while still continuing and maintaining to do what I love and to and to connect connect with people. But um, I've also had to prioritize my mental health and um, being the best mother that I can be and move forward, if that makes sense. I totally, totally makes sense. And yeah, thank you for talking about that. I'm so sorry to hear about that. And it's something I think the vast majority of us just wouldn't think of. You know, I think a lot of people would see, you know, how successful we obviously are and, you know, creative life doing so well. And I would never think, you know, it's naive of me. I wouldn't think for a second that you'd ever get any kind of like negative comments or anything like that. It's just mad how the world is that people feel like they can just do that. And it's yeah. just, it's just awful. It's just awful. Um, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm learning how to navigate that much better. Um, and I have a really wonderful partner now um, who is incredibly supportive and that makes a difference. And um, also identifying and embracing and acknowledging my ADHD and how it affects way more than I realized um, has allowed me to be very forgiving to myself and also to hold myself accountable because of that neurodivergence. So yeah, I'm just going through like this huge transition now. So that's a long winded answer to a very pretty simple question that you asked, but um, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's not well, easy. No, and I can't, I can't imagine, um, I can't imagine the, the things that, 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 how that's had an effect on you and what you go through. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for talking about it, um, Kirsten. Um, yeah. Let's, let's change tack. Should we change tack? Should we change yeah. tack? No, yeah, let's taste that. <laughs> so I don't know if you've uh, listened. To, I think you mentioned you've listened to an episode or two, but some, sometimes in episodes we do a little kind of like little Netflix or movies game. Are you up for that? Oh, uh, yes, but I think I'm going to do terrible. But OK, let's go. <laughs> OK, everyone says that. Everyone says that. But I'm sure it'll be, be fine. It'll be good. OK, so if anyone's listening, not listened before, um, I'm just going to read Kirsten a little synopsis of a movie or a series. And we're going to see if um, she can get the title. You ready for your first one? Ugh, yes. I'm now I'm nervous. I haven't been nervous the whole time, and now I'm nervous about this stupid thing. Okay, That's go. So funny. Okay, cool. So because uh, yours is yours, I've done a kind of family theme around yours. Okay, so that's a bit of a clue to all the all the ones. So okay, so your first right. one is an old movie, by the way. It's an old movie. It's like twenty five years old or something, probably. Okay. okay. So when a nightclub singer is forced to take refuge from the mob in a convent. She ends up turning the convent choir into a soulful chorus complete with Motown repertoire until the sudden celebrity of the choir jeopardizes her identity. And that is Whoopi Goldberg. And yes. why am I forgetting the name? Hold on. Um, oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> You've got it, though, with Whoopi Goldberg. You know what it is. Oh, my God. Wait, just give me one second. <laughs> Sister Act. Yes. Boom. Nice. Yes. I haven't seen that in years. It's good, though, isn't it? It's a great that well, I'm a big fan of Whoopi. Yes, it's a great film. Oh, that's cool. Cool. Well, there you go. Straight in. You've got okay. you've got more than most people. Most people get zero, <laughs> so that is good. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, so your second one, this is a, a series, uh, and it's animated as a clue. Okay. So, okay. Okay. So um, Peter Griffin and his and his family of two teenagers, a smart dog, a devilish baby, and his wife find themselves in some of the most hilarious scenarios. Oh. Uh. Birdie, do you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like an adult Simpsons type thing. I've never actually watched it, but it's a, uh, it, yours are all related to family. So family. I don't. 
It's a it's a show or a movie. Yeah, uh, a show. I think it's had loads oh, of seasons. Oh, Family Guy. Yes, boom! It is. Yes. But I never watched. Ever... No, nor but... me. I've never seen yeah. it either. But okay. two out of two. This is good. So you, this is for the hat trick. Then now the final okay. one. This is a okay. this is a tougher one. Um, it's set in America as well. So we've all had an American and a family theme. Okay, so. It's the movie. Um, okay. In the Deep South during the 1930s, three escaped convicts search for hidden treasure while a relentless lawman pursues them. Um. This has got... As a, <laughs> it's quite an obscure one. Um, as it's got George Clooney in. Oh, brother, we're out there? Yes! Out there. Yeah, that's it! <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's so good, Kirsten! <laughs> You nailed it. Three out of three. It's a good film. That is actually. That is a good film. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. It's um. Is it Coen Brothers? That yes, it that? is. Yeah, that's, that's what true. I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, I. Way better than I thought I was going to do. Well, perfect. You can't do any better than that. And I, I wish there was a prize to give you, but alas, there is not. But yeah, you get the, the kudos for three out of three. That's all good. And let's um, let's uh, let's um, stay off photography for a minute as well. I'll just do a few other quick fire things. Do do you prefer sleeping or eating? Oh, geez. <clears throat> I think eating um, food yeah. is uh, really important in my life. Um, like really good food, really good food experiences. Actually, I'm trying to get a reservation for the French laundry um, for mine and my partner's uh, anniversary. What is that? I don't know what that is. What is that? Oh, it's a Michelin star restaurant. It's a really famous one in wine country in Napa. Uh-huh. Um, and it's very difficult to get a reservation there. Um so you have to like wait until they open up reservations for the following two months and then hope to God you get in. It's like a wow. 10 course um, experience. It's like, it's very expensive ahead, but oh, it's that a sounds whole good though. So I'm going to say food eating is okay. Fun. Eating over seafood. That's cool. And do, do you eat well when you go to Vegas then? Cause they've got loads of great restaurants there. hundred percent. That's one of the reasons why uh, Mitch and I are going to Vegas. It's just so we can eat at really good uh, restaurants. Yeah. I get that. Any tips? What's your, what's your favorite restaurant there? Um, well, actually my favorite restaurant closed. Uh, it was in the MGM. It was a sushi restaurant. Um, I'm trying to think where the last place I ate. Tom Coleco has a pretty decent steakhouse that um, I've always had a really good experience at. I forget what it's called, though, but it is also in the MGM. Um, The thing is, like, if you look up any, like, well-known chefs, most of them have a place somewhere in Vegas. Mm, Um, And I'm, I'm always a big fan of just like looking at reviews and um and trusting the reviews emerald has a decent restaurant there again i'm not remembering everyone's names but i know who which uh which chefs have places okay yeah but anyways that just look at reviews and, and and pick out uh places of chefs that you know, have some sort of notoriety that you might want to try their food. Yeah, I need to do that more. Um, so you don't yeah. go to McDonald's every night then in Vegas then? No, Definitely no. not. I only yeah. recall that one night when we were all up after we were gambling till like four in the morning and it was the only thing open and we got like a hundred chicken nuggets and just oh, no. laid them out on the table. <laughs> that sounds fun. That sounds fun. Um, cool. Uh, Kirsten, as, as a kid or a teenager growing up, did you ever have any celebrity crushes? Yes. Why am I forgetting the name? Um, uh, oh, crap. Um, see, everyone loved when I was a kid. So I'm 45. So 
Um, I grew up in the 80s, um, 70s, 80s. Everyone loved Ricky Schroeder from Silver Spoons, which was that little white hair blonde kid. Um, uh, I do not know who that is, no. uh, Blue eyes, you know, very, like, very cute, right? But I always um, had a huge crush on the Karate Kid guy. Um, why am I? Oh, yeah, Ralph Macchio, isn't it? Ra- Ralph Macchio. He was like... He was a huge crush of mine for a really long time. Oh, that's cool. Did you have like a poster of him? Oh, definitely had a poster of Ralph. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's and, so cool. I love Karate Kid films as well. They're great. And now Co- he's in Cobra Kai. And I'm like, mm, oh, yeah. not, he didn't, for me, didn't age quite as well. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> that's, that's funny. I've watched the first couple of seasons of that. But have you watched all of that, Cobra Kai? I have, yeah. It's, does Elizabeth Shue come back in it? You know, from she does, but only for like an episode. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. she doesn't come in and like break up the family unit. Like I was hoping might happen. No, that didn't happen. So, because talking about crushes, I had a major crush on her in Karate Kid when I was young. Mm, she was so time. cute, right? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, but she aged quite well as well. Because I think because in like Leaving Las Vegas, I love that film. She's great in that. She looks exactly the same yes she's aged incredibly well like <laughs> and and what does that mean even like aged well i just think like she um she's just as if not more beautiful now than she mm. was when she was like in her early 20s um and ralph has aged well i'm just not my my attraction to him is not as strong or intense as it was as a as yeah a, 10 or 12 year old girl (laughs) (laughs) you don't have a cobra kai poster up on your wall now no no i don't but i am watching watching the the show it's mindless fun right it's ridiculous mindless fun so yeah and talk about mindless fun we've been watching selling sunset have you ever seen that no what is that oh it's like a real reality tv program about real estate agents in hollywood it's um yeah, it's uh, it's very it's trashy, really. But I quite like trashy TV. I do. I like tra- trashy reality TV. Yeah, um, I are friends because trashy TV is like one of my all time favorite things to watch. Is oh, just, really? That's great. I mean, The Bachelorette. I don't think you can get trashier than that. And I can't wait because it is the finale tonight. So. Oh, OK, nice. Oh, I've never seen that, but that sounds good. I think I've seen The Bachelor years ago, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's terrible. It is terrible. And like. <laughs> It's so terrible. It is genius. Yes. Oh, that sounds good. I'd like to check that out. <laughs> um, Kirsten, let's go back to your photography. I really enjoyed that little segue. So, but I'm really enjoying the, the photography as well. So, um, yeah. So, <laughs> We're talking about Mitch. And so now the little one is woken up, just, in, just so you know. Oh, no worries. Hello. Hello. Could you hear me? Yeah, she can hear you. She's oh, being... cool. Yeah. Hello. How are you doing? You want to say hi? No. Okay. No. Okay. I understand. Okay. <laughs> Scary Englishman <laughs> over the internet. No, I get that. Yeah. Um, so yes, Kirsten. So as, as well as shooting all over the world and educating so many, you also co-found, sorry, I can't talk, co-founded the Documentary Family Awards, which I'm sure all of our listeners know about. Um, so I was wondering, can you tell us more about creating that and how you find running it? You know, I've, I was obviously very interested in this myself, um, but also one of our members, Lauren Ha, wanted to ask you for your thoughts about it all and, and what's next for the DFAs. You know, sorry, lots of questions there but basically yeah yeah, can you you tell us more about the documentary Mm -hmm. family awards um so i just remember this was a long time ago i was at cpc which isn't around anymore the canada photography conference and um i was talking 
it might have been to Tristan. I was just like, I really want to have, I want to create an awards um, that that celebrates like all this great work that especially my students are making. Mm-hmm. And I think, and at the time I was like, I think this is going to be a way to teach more mm-hmm. of the world about this approach to family photography, which I've always said is just an alternative to the family portrait. And, um, and, I, and, or maybe I was talking to the owner of the CPC. I don't know. Anyways, I was like, I don't know if it's possible. I really don't know if anyone would be willing to go in on it with me because I can't do it all by myself, but I believe in this. And and I said, like, I want to do it differently than other awards out there. Like, I think we should judge live because there's transparency there. Cause I, anytime I've seen awards, I've always wondered, well, how did they get to those choices? Like, mm-hmm. if I don't agree with the choices or I do agree with the choices, I was always curious to hear more about, um, and still to this day, I'm curious, like, you know, how come this, and and what did you see that I'm not seeing that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I talked to Jenna and Tristan about it and they, they, and I'd been teaching with Tristan, uh, with Jenna for quite a long time at that point. And, and I was traveling, uh, our families were traveling a lot together. So I became very close with Tristan and, and they're like, we're in, let's do it. And to be fair, I do not run the awards at all. It is all Tristan and it is such a labor of love for on his end. Like it would not exist without Tristan. Um, Jenna and I do very little and I'm holding myself accountable for that. Like that's not a good thing at all. Um, I'm just overwhelmed with, I'm always overwhelmed with all the other stuff I do. And so yeah, sure. always picking up the slack. And as you know, owning now two different, uh, it's basically two different companies, right? The family awards and the wedding awards. Mm. Like it is so much work. Like yeah. so, it is so much work. I can't even, I, I, yeah. So we used to like, at one point we we're going to do four award cycles a year and then three cycles a year. And now we're at two or, you know, we've been doing two, but you know, with running the businesses and, and there's no profit in case I, I have no problem even saying that, like it is, it is a full labor of love and we really believe in paying our judges really well and the content and the quality and just celebrating this incredible work that's being made by people around the world. And, and for us, like a focus has also been to bring to light photographers that are coming from um, from really challenging um, economic situations in their countries, right. um, people coming from war-torn countries to find ways and means for them to equally compete. Like these are all things that are really important to us. And so um, I don't know, we may only do one cycle in 2023. We do plan on having at least one. I don't, know um if we'll be able to do two i'm hoping to i'm hoping one in the spring and one in the in the fall um but it's all been a huge labor of love and it would not happen without tristan but it is it is solely because we believe in in the work that's being made and we believe and love talking about photography and that is the most fun part is and challenging and exhausting is the live uh judging it takes three to four days of, um, of, um, recording to get through it all. Uh, and then Tristan, you know, has to edit all that and prep it to 
to stream live and um yeah Pe- it's crazy people must get so much from that live judging though that is super special that you do that and unique really isn't it i think that's awesome yeah. that you do that it's interesting because <laughs> You know, with everything, you just can't. I don't know if you, Alan, you're like the kindest, everyone loves you guy. So I don't even know if you ever have to deal with this at all. But, you know, the public has lots of opinions and you're not going to be loved by everyone. And Mm -hmm. all three of us are very much people pleasers. So anytime there's there's critique or criticism, we're reevaluating, like, what should we do? Like, okay, okay, should we change this, change that? So for the longest time, we had people asking us, please do not have Kirsten and Jenna as judges every time. And we're like, oh, really? and I, yeah, and I was like, oh, thank God. Because like, <laughs> I want to give it to somebody else, right? And mm. I, every, every time it's like, I don't, I don't have to judge. And they're like, yes, you do, Kirsten. I was like, no, I don't, I don't, ha- I don't have to judge. So we did, we did two cycles of um, Jenna nor I judging, right? We had all three live judges and that didn't go well by a large uh, majority of the population. So <laughs> we, <didn't, laughs> we want you back. We want you back. Yeah. And so then yeah. the people wanted us back. So then we came back for the last cycle um, and we worked with Carl Juist, who is this just, I believe he is an angel in human form. I work with him as much as I can. He is brilliant. He's a brilliant photographer. He's an extraordinary educator. He makes me a better human being every time I speak to him or I am around him. And so we invited him to uh, be our our third judge the last round. And Jenna and I came back and it had been two cycles. And that had been, that probably was received better than any other cycle we've ever done. So I don't know what to do. Like, do we keep coming back? I have no idea. (laughs) It's so difficult though, isn't it? I mean, you said some nice words about me in there, but you know, I get, people are not happy all the time. We can't please everyone all the time. Uh, It's, it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. And me as a people pleaser, I just want to please everyone. Like I just, Mm. So I get very frustrated if I can't make everyone happy. So yeah, I understand. I understand. Right. So, so I don't know. To, to answer your question, I don't know what is going to become of the DFAs. We've also talked about we love the educational end of it, right, with mm-hmm. the live judging. And we've talked about, like, are there other ways that we can give – we can use this platform to give people like Carl and other um, photographers and educators – also a means of continuing education through the DFA. So we've talked about that as well. Um, I just don't know. I don't know what's going to come of it. I feel terrible because I, at this point, I can't give the time. I've never been able to give the time that is deserving, like the, that especially Tristan deserves. Um, and he's always picking up the slack. And for that, like he, like he deserves all the, um, the, the praise and um, the recognition. I just can't, I can't say enough wonderful things about him. Oh, that's really lovely of you to say. And well, you're so busy, Kirsten. You're so busy. And we all just have a very limited amount of time in this world. Yeah. Um, you know, we can't do everything, can we? We can't. Um, it's, yeah, it's tough. But that's really interesting. Thank you for talking about that. And I'm sure, as I said, I'm sure everybody's heard of um, the Documentary Family Awards. But in case that, that one person who's listening maybe hasn't, I will include a link, obviously, from uh, this reportage family to it as well. So definitely check it out. Is it open for submissions at the moment or? No, no. Um, we need to have a meeting about when, but I think it's going to, it'll probably be in the spring. I don't think we'll do a cycle this year. Another one. I think it'll probably be more in the, more in the spring of okay. next year. And also thank you. Like I was so excited when you 
like for me, I'm excited anytime a new opportunity for me to participate and be like everybody else. And um, I was super excited when you announced that you were going to be opening up a family um uh, a family portion to this is reportage and that you were so kind and generous uh, and responsive to me when I was like, can I compete? <laughs> you were like, I was like, I know I, ha- I, I have the DFA, but I really love to compete. And it, it just made it really meant a lot to me that you accepted and with open arms, the idea of me being able to just participate. Well, likewise, it meant a lot for me for you to want to be part of it. So I said, thank you very much for that. You know, it's awesome. And and that that's a great segue because I've got a question about that as well. And then just to say, you know, you've you've won loads of individual and story awards from us. And and two of your individual awards that I especially love, I just wanted to ask you about, um, are the, I love the no diving capture, you know, which yeah. I, we yeah. and we actually use that as the the, the first image on our homepage. Yeah. And and the one, I'd want also, I mean, you've won lots, as I, said, as I said, but the other one that I really love is one where it looks like the pair parents are kind of I think it's the parents are sharing um like a piece of spaghetti like Lady in the Trump style yeah and in the in the background all the children have these brilliant kind of embarrassed reactions to it so yeah I just wonder if you could tell us about those two captures a bit um so the note it's interesting that those are two of the ones that you're drawn to um those are two of my most beloved um families uh I've ever I mean I love every family I shoot um the first family uh her the mom is, her name is Heather Esposito. She's a, a beautiful photographer herself. She's been a student of mine and um, I'm very close to her and her family. And I photographed them four times. Nice. Um, that particular uh, shot was in their neighborhood pool. And most times I, or I've been taught um, with photographers that are at a level that I'll, always just hope to get to that might not in this lifetime. But uh, I'm reminded, don't ever rely on text to make a photo, right? Like, because, because um, you want it to be internationally appreciated. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of times, if you rely on the words in a text, you can't be sure that everyone is going to be able to understand it. because not everyone reads English yeah, or sure. whatever language you're you're um, highlighting. However, that being said, no, no is a pretty universal um, word. Mm-hmm. So I felt like the no, the no diving. Even if you don't technically know the word diving, the no part might help a little bit. Anyways, um, I was playing with that scene for a while because. Uh, I wasn't making anything I was really excited about. And I, and then they started diving and I was like, well, you shouldn't be doing that. And I was like, Oh, well, (laughs) let's see if we just make a photo of that. And so there's a lot of luck involved, right? There was preparation. I, he had dove like two or three times, but there's no guarantee he was going to do it again. And in fact, then uh, there was a bunch of times he wasn't. So that was one of those ones that I say, I just squirreled away. And I was like, well, if they start diving again, I'll go back. And they did. And so that's how I got that shot. And that's very cool. Dove like three or four more times. And I shot through all those and then picked the best one. The light right. is terrible on it. That's the one thing that I, that really bothers me is that there was no good light and I'm really right. Light driven with my work. 
Um, for the most part, I prefer to have really good light. And sometimes, as my students will attest, uh, I sometimes I don't even want to shoot. If there's like terrible light, I just don't even feel inspired at all to shoot. So that's how that one was made. Um, so very I, cool. Sorry, I, I love hearing your thought process <laughs> and how you do it. It's great. Sorry, it's great. So, no, sorry, it's carry great. on. It's cool. So the other one um, is another family that is incredibly uh, special to me. I have photographed them. I think I've done six day in the lives with them. Seven, right. maybe seven. Um, I, two of those, it, it's a blended family. Um, so mom and dad, uh, Sarah Howell is mom. Matt Howell is a dad. And, um, they each had a kid. Sarah had a boy, a little boy at the time. And, um, Matt had a little girl. They met, fell in love, got married. And then they <coughs> got pregnant with twins, which was unexpected, by the wow. way. Wow. Yeah. Intentional have twins. And they're <laughs> like, oh my God, we're going to have four kids between us. Um, so I've done, uh, mostly I've photographed them when it's all all four kids together. They've always planned it when they have all four kids together. Um, and then there was um, one day in life I did a couple years ago where they did just the twins um, when they didn't have the two older ones. But the, that shot is when they have all the kids. And Matt and Sarah have always been super affectionate. They're like this really inspiring couple to me that like really like have always expressed or shown their love for one another. And that was very typical of them to be doing that. It was not set up at all. Um, and actually I had to decide um, because in that photo, I bumped focus. I talk about bumping focus a lot with my students. Like don't be so sure if the background like in a situation like that, is the background more important or the foreground? They're both telling the story together. So if you have the time, even if it's like a split second, just bump the focus, don't make that decision in the field. And then you have both options that you can look at later. Because uh -huh. today I still am not sure which one I like more. I think the one that I submitted, mom and dad are slightly out of focus. That's right, right. yes, and yeah. The kids are making the faces. Mm. I also have the opposite where it's them eating the spaghetti in focus and then the kids' reactions in the back. <clears throat> but like I've said, most of the time, <clears throat> the reaction is better than the action and more important in terms of um, eliciting some sort of response from your viewer. But you most, most times need to understand what's causing that reaction, the catalyst. Mm. So you want to include both in the photo to understand yeah. That's so cool. It's, it's great bits of advice and tips there as well. I'm just, I know you can't see me. I'm just smiling and nodding. It's all so good. It's so cool. Thank, thank you for talking about both of those. That's awesome. Um, and anyone listening now, do head to thisreptilesplanary.com or I'll include both those images that images that Kirsten just spoke about. That's awesome. Um, Kirsten, I'm, 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 I know I'm, I'm keeping you a lot of time here. Um, but I wanted, I, you know, as well as my own questions, I asked some of the this reptiles family community if they had any questions for you, and quite a few people responded. So. Do you still have a bit more time to talk to I me? I do. I do. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, yes, yeah, so a few from the Sreptage family members. So a a Anna Backhouse, who I've spoken to on the podcast before, actually, she didn't have a question, but she just wanted to let you know that um, she said, I undoubtedly owe Kirsten a lot for being where I am today in my photography. She's definitely an amazing mentor and person. So, yes, just thought I'd I let love let Anna more like. She's um a kindred spirit to me, and I'm actually meeting with her later today. So I really later today. <laughs> <laughs> what in the flesh or online? 
online. Yeah, we have a um, a one on one, and she is not only is she just a gifted photographer, she is the embodiment of kindness and goodness as a human being. Um, she's just a beautiful spirit, um, and I love her very much. That's lovely. I yeah, I, I've not met her in person, but I spoke to her for a podcast episode, and she's just so lovely. I I love yeah. talking to her. She's she's fab. Um, so um, another member, Hilda Hubers Hubers. I'm sorry if I pronounce uh, names incorrectly, but she would like to ask about your future plans and goals. She says Kirsten's already done so much: a book, so many workshops, public speaking, and the DFAs. What's next for her? And is she still photographing a lot? Maybe not as much as she would like. And how she keeps her work interesting and fun for herself Hilda that is a lot of questions <laughs> <laughs> that, that now I'm having to think about like my future life um no uh for one I'm shooting more than I have in a long time um which is feels good and is exciting um not only continuing with my personal projects again after COVID COVID was a long break um but I'm picking back up my uh, for those that follow me or if you if you're curious my I have two sites, Alan, so I can give you the second site uh, okay. where like all my editorial work is and my my projects are. And um, so I've been photographing a, a family with five little girls. Um, they're not as little anymore. I've been photographing them for about six years and they're two oldest. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> no worries. In my throat. Um, the two oldest are dying of a really rare uh, neurological condition called CLN3 back. <sighs> disease um yeah, they're now 11 and 13 but when i started shooting uh they uh only cecilia the oldest was starting to have some vision issues and they thought it was just some maybe uh degenerate like um ocular condition mm-hmm. before they found out that it was actually an, it's just a symptom of a pretty horrific neurological um disease uh so i uh just reconnect i only got to shoot them twice last year uh or in this past year but um i just went and saw them again and photographed them a bunch of times and they were just in this sweet little pageant which was so lovely photographed that (laughs) birthday that must be tough to do though is that must be tough it's not tough now um i just feel like i'm part of the family it's just part of how things are right like Mm. we just and especially for me, like I'm not mom and dad. Like I, I, my, my empathy, all my empathy goes to mom and dad and, and, and doing yeah. this every day, uh, watching what's happening to your children. But, um, for me, I just, I feel like I belong there and, um, I've been seeing them grow. And while it is so difficult to watch their decline. So now they're completely blind, both girls. And, um, <sighs> being a wheelchair a bit um a bit uh more often um it's going to be really hard in the next i'd say in the next three or four years it's going to be a lot harder and i've already acknowledged i'm going to need um to make sure that i'm in therapy a lot um because the longer i spend with them the more i feel like i'm their family so this is kind of a sidetracking so i've started uh, i've gone back to shooting them and then i have another uh long-term project where i've been photographing a little boy who identified as gay when he was uh five and now he is 12 and this brilliant dancer and i think he's going to be famous and so i've been photographing them so oh. him so i'm going back to that 
So lots of shooting, lots of uh, jobs, and I'm trying desperately to finish my book. And so there's just a few more photos that I want. I don't actually know what they look like, but there's a few more pictures that I feel like I need. And so I'm trying to finish that up before the end of the year so I can finally go to print in the beginning of early next year. That's exciting. So, so what, what is that book? What's it, what's it containing? So it's called uh, Unsupervised. I've been working on it for 10, 12 years, somewhere like that. Wow. Um, it, some of it, a lot of it is client work, but actually now a lot of it is not client work. And it's work that I've been working on specifically for the book. It is a intimate look into the middle class family. Um, and it's a very interactive book. I, from day one, I've really been inspired. One of my favorite books on the planet. I don't know. It, it's not like that well known. It's called The Adventures of Griffin and Sabine. And there's like three or four books. And the the way that the book works is it's letters that they write back and forth to each other. And so you like, there's an envelope in the book and like you open up the envelope and then you read the letters back and forth. And I just thought that that approach to it being more interactive is brilliant. So this book, this photo book is very interactive as well. Cool. I'm getting a lot more ideas for the content, which I don't want to share right now. Actually. No, of course. Yeah. Keep it sure. To myself, but very exciting for me. Um, and unlike an, a lot of photography books, I'm, I am gearing this towards the general public. Um, not that other photography books aren't, but a lot of photography books are um, with other artists or photographers in mind about mm. who the audience is going to be. And I've always felt that the work that I do is um, it's meant to be appreciated by anybody because you've either been a kid or you have children or you have parents um, at some point or've had an experience with parents or just family in general. And so I'm really creating a book that I want to be experienced by everyone, not not just um, not just an art community or creative community, but all all people. So that's very cool, very, very exciting. Awesome. That's really cool. Um, and um, to stay inspired, I just keep shooting that quick last answer. Um, Anytime I'm feeling not inspired, I know it's that I'm not making enough work. And as far as what my goals are moving forward, um, I'm kind of going in slightly different direction with my with my income, um, business stories for companies. A lot of them family-based in nature, but um, just doing more commercial work and uh, doing more vacation sessions. I just, the Tanzania trip was a, I've done I've done quite a few uh, vacation sessions, uh, Paris and Greece and Costa Rica and Tanzania and uh, various places in the U.S. But I'm I've found a new niche um, financially with the vacation sessions, so that is uh, a place I'm I'm rearing quite headstrongly towards uh, in the next year. So. 
Cool. Gotcha. <laughs> You're definitely busy. You're definitely busy. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, Adam Belmont would like to ask you about experimenting. Um, he said, I can't honestly imagine the high expectations and hopes clients have of what she delivers. How does she balance experimenting and gambling with trying new things um, in an effort to up level her art versus getting less personally stimulating shots she's done as many sessions before? Uh, but knows that it delivers the feels. You know, thinking of shots where she tries something, it doesn't work, but scenario doesn't let her repeat it and try again. Or what does experimenting even look like at her stage in development? So, Adam, I'm going to burst the bubble. I <laughs> <laughs> need a loose You're good. You still have an hour, my love. Okay? <laughs> um, I, for the last at least... I'd say for the least the last eight years, I have only shot for myself in a day in the life session. Um, I just, I don't know if it's selfishness, which it could be. I can totally acknowledge that's me being selfish. Um, or it's not that I don't care about my client is because I do care about my client. And all I've ever wanted is if I'm going to be hired, I be hired because people want to see how I see their family, not that I just do this for a living. And that has been a such a beautiful gift as more and more documentary family photographers are embracing this uh, approach and being finding a lot of great success and not even a competition, but like the, the opportunity to hire them out there. In the beginning, I feel like I was just hired because I did it, right? I was the one person out there at least um, in some sort of public setting doing it. So I was hired a lot, but now I'm at a place where I want to be, which is I'm hired because they want to see how I shoot. So I don't have any expectation. I don't place that expectation that clients have on me ever. So I'm taking, I'm always taking a lot of risk. I'm always making a lot of really terrible photos. Um, I'm always screwing up and failing, but I don't care about those. All I really care about are the ones that I do make. And I'd say that my work that I'm delivering now is more experimental and more art forward than ever before. I'm still, I'm still shooting and delivering quite a bit of more journalistic work. I always will because I, that is partly how I see, but I'm taking a lot more risk now than I ever have before um, because about that beautiful freedom that I just shoot really selfishly and I'm constantly wanting to evolve as a photographer. I never want to be complacent. And when I feel like I'm complacent, that is when I, um, I push myself harder, um, or I'll take a class or I'll start looking at new work. I just bought last year. People, this is going to blow people's minds. Um, I bought two lens babies because I've been bored. And so I've been like, well, what can I do with these lenses? Like, how can I, how can I create different emotional uh, spaces uh, with the work? Maybe it will, it will help me connect with moments that I haven't connected with before. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm constantly playing in the field, but I have been for a long time. That's not really something new, at least in the last five to eight years. That's so cool. All of that is so great as well. And and it's not selfish, is it? Because they've you're just shooting how you want to shoot. That's why they've booked you, because they want their family captured right. through your eyes. So yeah, it's, I totally understand that. That's um that's awesome. Awesome. Um Charlene McNabb would like to ask you about photographing your own family. She said 
I'd love to know if after all this time teaching and shooting other families, if she still finds time to document her own family life, does she have periods where she's photographed out and can't bring herself to use a camera or, or maybe she hires people too so she can be in the picture? I do both. So I try to have a day in the life done every year of my own family so I can be in the photos. Um, and I know this is going to sound strange. This is going to sound strange two ways. One, uh, one thing I want to do before the end of the year is photograph my ex with his new partner and birdie so that they can have some photos of the three of them together. And that will be my Christmas gift to them Aww. as well as my new partner. Um, I have already told their mom. So his ex wife that I want to spend a day with her and her partner and the kids so that I I'm constantly giving her photos. So this kind of like circles back. So I'm not with yeah. my and my daughter anymore so I still photograph my daughter but now it's a lot with my new partner and his two kids um, mm. and, and anytime I make great photos of those kids I give them to uh, his ex-wife but she's not in any of the photos so um, so these are my extended family that I'm shooting wow gosh that's so cool uh, wow yeah and so, yes, I'm shooting a lot I still I always have a camera on me I think it's really important um, and but I'm not maybe shooting as much as I should, but I still make photos when I see them. Like if I see, even, even if it's just with my phone, um, you know, any, when I feel that like gut thing inside where I'm like, Oh God, that's a picture. I will stop everything and, and make it. So yeah, I've made some great photos of, um, birdie in the last year. And the other thing, this is just like a little, it's not a, a, a tip, but it's the best grandparent gift. So what I've done every year and it, also as a way to make sure that I have the albums is every year I put together a best of for the year of birdie. And that is the gift that all the grandparents get. Oh, that's really and, nice. Mm. And then I always make a copy for myself. Otherwise I'm not going to print those and, and put them in albums. So it's kind of like my way to keep me um, motivated to do that. Um, and cool. the other tip I give is when I am shooting, when I have the camera in my hand, it's the same thing as when I'm with a client, unless they're going to seriously injure themselves or the family pet. <laughs> I am just the photographer and it's that way when I'm photographing my daughter as well. Um, obviously <laughs> I'm not going to let her get hurt, but I do like if she's doing naughty stuff, I just let her do it. Um, <laughs> That's cool. If, if I want to, if I want to shoot her because otherwise I feel like, the image itself gets compromised. So there's times when I need to make the decision. Do I need to be the mom here or can I be the photographer? It also does help if you aren't the only parent or adult in the room. You can like kind of let go of that. But you have to tell yourself to let go of it um, mm -hmm. and then just shoot your family. But yeah, I do a lot. I, I photograph my life a lot. So very cool very cool it's great you do i need to do it more i should do it a lot more i have yeah. to say i think yeah, it's a, a beautiful name for your daughter i think it's lovely birdie, oh, birdie? So lovely. yeah, yeah. so cool um sabina doppelhofer and i hope i'm pronouncing that correct i don't know if it's I sabine love or her. Sabina. Yep. yeah she's so yep. cool isn't she um but uh, she said i learned so much from you kirsten um she is really a, a great teacher and photographer um looking forward to hearing the podcast i would love to know if she plans something in europe for next year um, yeah, so I need to get to Europe. I think I'm coming twice. I am going to be in Dublin actually on Thursday, but it's for, um, I taught a narrative class for two years. It was a really intense year long program. And because of COVID, we had to uh, 
put all of our workshops on hold. So I'm finally coming to Dublin to do that workshop. But yes, oh, I have plans to come to Europe twice uh, for 2023. And if there's interest, I would do a workshop. Um, I have a couple of day in life sessions that need to be done um, that I from that have been on hold since uh, 2021 because of COVID. Um, so yes, I'll be coming to Europe uh, and I'm open to talking about uh, opportunities or shoots if people want them. Um, I'm willing to uh, to respond to that in any way. No, that's <laughs> cool. Make people happy. So oh, it'd be great. Hopefully, if you come to England, it'd be great to meet you. That would be very cool. That would be very cool. Uh, yes, I, Alan, for sure. <laughs> I love that. I love the way you say Alan, by the way, because it really reminds me of um, Have you seen The Hangover? Yes. Oh, yes. God. <laughs> Am I saying it? <laughs> well, no, you're saying it perfectly. Yeah. And I just, but you're saying it in that kind of accent that's said in the film, and I love it. It's so cool. I love it. Cool. <laughs> Hangover <laughs> is one of my favorite movies. It makes me yeah. laugh until I cry every time, especially the first one. The first one's the best, I think. Oh, I love it. So I watch it every time before going to Vegas as well. I always watch, re watch yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, okay, two more questions from members, if that's okay. Um, so, uh, Fleur Gadamka, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, would like to ask you about imitation repetition so she said um does she feel like she is starting to see the same types of images from family documentary photographers what would she like to see to keep the genre fresh and not imitation of images that work well yes the answer is yes um and i don't think there's anything wrong with that because uh like the, the wrong like the wrong part um we all art is an imitation of what we've seen before that that's that's what it is right um and the way out of that in terms of you know first of all playing and experimenting with things you've seen before that have worked well uh that's a great way to learn to be perfectly honest i've definitely done it so um there's nothing wrong with it the one the one thing i've seen a lot of is the panning or the movement photos mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and I remember when my pops taught me how to pan with film. Um, it was something he loved to do. Like he loved making panning photos. It made him very excited. Mm -hmm. So I've done it for a long time. Um, and what I say is uh, for me, myself, when I feel the urge to show, like I pan when I feel like it really is going to, that technique is going to be the best way to illustrate how I'm feeling in the moment and how my, my subject is feeling with the experience. Mm -hmm. um, what I see a lot of with the panning in particular is doing it just to do it, but I'm not seeing a moment within the panning or that there's a there's not a mood in the panning. And so it falls flat for me, but that's fine. I'm glad that people are experimenting and trying. That makes me very happy. Um, mm. So again, encouraging you to connect with also like here, Oh, there's a lot I could talk about, Alan. Um, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> my students will tell you I'm always asking why. Why did you make this picture? Why, why are you putting the camera to your face? I only make pictures when I'm inspired. So there's many times, and I have a course that will be coming out that's going to be unique that I've never um, shown before, is that I, have, I bought equipment so you can see the entire process through my camera. No, so that's cool. you're going to be able to see what exactly what I'm seeing and all how I'm composing. And as I change my 
my aperture or my shutter speed, you're going to see how that's adjusting the the the. Yeah, pick. very cool. Yeah, that's cool. But you're also going to see that I don't shoot a lot uh, when I'm in the field. I only shoot when I see a photo, and then when I see a photo, I am at it uh, 150%, and I'm very committed. But if I'm not inspired or I'm not seeing something, or I'm not connecting with something, I'm not making a photo. And that is a way, I think, it's a really good tip for those to constantly check yourself and ask yourself, why am I making this pic? Why? Why am I doing this right now? And if it's just because it feels obligatory, or I don't know, then then stop and pause and wait until you have an answer for why you're making that photo. And that and then allow yourself to connect with that why and then ask yourself, okay, what are the things I can do to visually articulate to the viewer what that answer, that why answer. And that is how you can take that panning photo to a new level where we've seen it and it's just your photo or any, any other things that I've seen in repetition, we're all going to repeat because again, Kids are like they're creatures of habit. We see kids do the same things over and over again. Um, there is a certain amount of uh, structure or um, schedule, right? Like mm-hmm. breakfast, lunch, dinner, and yeah. ready for bed. But if you can continue to ask yourself the why, like what am I seeing that's like making me excited to pick up my camera, that inevitably is going to make the photo yours. And so even though there are scenes we might have seen before or techniques we've seen before, the more personal you can make that for just you, the more exciting and personal the photo is going to become in the end. That's so cool. Yeah, gosh, it's it's so it's so great listening to you. I'm, lo- I'm loving this. It's so great, Kirsten. Honestly, you're so great. You speak so eloquently with so much... Oh, just so much knowledge and tips and it's just oh. so good. Honestly, thank you. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, so cool. And I've just got, can I just ask one more question? Um, so then it's uh, from another member. It says from Neve Howard. I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Neve there. Um, she's asked, I'd love to know how Kirsten feels her work has changed over the years. And are there any other photographers that inspire her? I too bought her creative live courses and it has totally changed the way I take pictures. Um... <laughs> <laughs> if if you've seen the creative live class <laughs> to anybody out there um i always share like the photos i made in the beginning and they're so horrible like <laughs> i and humbling and and fantastic right like I, there's this one i remember from a family that i photographed in mexico when i was living there and they're on a hill and i tilted like so much i don't I talk about in the creative life class, I'm like, I don't even know how they're standing upright. Like what (laughs) (laughs) they should all be falling. Right. Like, um, I would do anything to, Oh, hold on. There's a phone call coming. Um, I would do anything to like go back and photograph them for free. Right. Like give them a redo because it was so bad. So first of all, I've seen a lot of evolution in my work from it being very pure documentary and just coming from me to then, like five or six years in and it looking nothing like me and like having all these totally rad actions on it and tilting with no purpose and um, reproducing every photo I'd seen on a blog and thinking that was what I should be making and, and also just feeling completely disconnected from the art of storytelling, the art of using your camera as a tool 
as a communication tool. And once I returned back to that, I felt like finally I was making pictures that meant something. And even if it meant nothing to anybody else, those pictures meant something to me because it was a place of coming back to home, returning to what every single tool has been to me, whether it's a potter's wheel or a piece of charcoal, which I just started picking up again, or a pair of point shoes um, that I used to dance in. The camera for me has always been just simply a tool to express how I see the world around me and how I connect with the world around me and the people that are in that, in that world sharing space with me. And so that is how I've seen my work evolve. And I'm excited to push that and constantly check that and check in with that. And as I evolve and change as a person, I hope that my why for why I'm putting the camera to my face in a particular moment also changes. And that with that, that constantly checking in and saying, wait, but why am I making this picture? What am I trying to say? Like, what, what is it that, how am I feeling in this moment? How are my subjects feeling in this moment? As I evolve and change um, as a parent, as a partner, as a friend, and as a human being, just um, trying to stumble through life, like though those photos will evolve with me if that makes sense that totally makes sense and said so well that's so cool oh so cool Kirsten honestly I just uh I just it's so enjoy talking to you thank you so much for just being so open so sharing so just full of knowledge about everything in all manners photography and life it's just been so awesome thank you honestly so cool well thank you for inviting me um it was a real honor and I've listened to quite a few of your interviews and they're always really fun and like you said relaxed and relatable and i listened to um anna's uh just two nights ago while i was making dinner and i was smiling and crying because um you you create a space for people to feel safe being vulnerable and and just sharing and that's like a really lovely skill and um, thank you because your contribution to the photo world in this industry is refreshing and much needed. Oh, well, thank you so much. Those are so such lovely words. Thank you, Kirsten. That's really, really lovely. Well, it means a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and hopefully I'll get to meet you one day, if not in England and Europe, maybe in Vegas. You know, that would be great. <laughs> Let's plan a trip to Vegas and I can teach you how to play Pai Gao and we'll eat at all the best restaurants. It is on. It is on. <laughs> <laughs> and people listening now do head to the Reptiles family. I'll include obviously a link through to Kirsten's websites and the Documentary Family Awards and include the two awards that she spoke about on this episode. And yes, all the best for your Dublin trip. Um, did you say very soon? Was it next week? Is it? Was it this week? Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, I leave for Dublin um, tomorrow. So. Okay, cool. Do you know, it's the, it's the biggest city in Ireland now i mean it's the biggest city in the uk because it keeps doubling and doubling <laughs> so bad and it's sorry gonna end on a dad joke end on a dad joke but honestly yeah. kirsten thank you so much i hope you have a great trip to dublin hopefully i'll get to meet you and yeah just thank you that was awesome lots of hugs to you alan and all oh my oh, i love hearing my name again in your accent at the end again it's just it's so the hangover i love it i love it oh <laughs> uh, bye kirsten bye 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 You've been listening to the 119th episode of the This Is Reportage podcast.
Love talking to Kirsten. Hope you enjoyed listening in. Thank you if you submitted a question for Kirsten there, and hopefully I pronounced your name right, if so. Head to thisreportagefamily.com or thisreportage.com for links to Kirsten's websites, the Documentary Family Awards, and to see the couple of Reportage Family Awards she spoke about on the episode too. We now have 119 episodes of the podcast available where we speak to wedding and family photographers from all over the world. If you like this episode, delve into our back catalogue for lots more. If you're not a member of this reportage or this reportage family, check out all the benefits of joining us, including an unlimited number of images on your profile, 60 individual award and 18 story award entries per year, invites to our physical meetups and parties, exclusive discounts, hours of educational videos featuring tips and advice from some of the world's best photographers, and much more too. We're currently judging our latest round of awards. Thanks everyone for the thousands of submissions, amazing work as always. But our next round of awards will be open for submissions soon. The deadline is 2359 GMT on the 23rd of November 2022. No poses, nothing staged, this is Reportage. And this is bye for now. <laughs>